Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. There are few areas of nutrition as deeply rooted in society as fermented dairy. Foods such as yogurt, cheese and kefir made by fermenting milk with live bacteria have long been a staple of healthy diets. Now, kefir is a fermented drink derived from the Turkish word for joy and pleasure, which dates back as far as 10,000 BC and is loaded for its ability to improve digestion and boost immune systems. Fermented dairy can be rich in probiotics, that's live bacteria that nourish your gut made up of trillions of microorganisms that live in your intestinal tract and govern everything from how well you digest the food you eat to the way your body absorbs nutrients. Yo Valley Kefir is lovingly made with organic British milk and 14 distinctive strains of lactic cultures for maximum gut flora diversity. Creamy and tangy, it literally packs billions of live bacteria in every spoonful. Available in natural, mango and passion fruit, blueberry and strawberry flavours, the daily boost you need to try is in the yoghurt aisle at all the major supermarkets. To find out more, head over to yovalley.co.uk. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. So many of us are prone to scrolling and endlessly viewing content across social media. The effects of this can be vast and detrimental to our health in a number of ways, one of which is how we view and consume food. Disordered eating affect millions of people worldwide, and the reasoning stem from a multitude of factors. However, the increasing popularity and accessibility of social media has had a significant impact on the number of eating disorders that we are now experiencing. Joining me today on the podcast to help us understand why social media is fueling eating disorders and what can be done to combat this is Dr. Isabel Gerard. Isabel is a lecturer in digital media and society at the University of Sheffield and currently is researching social media platforms content moderation policies, particularly around eating disorders. Hello, Isabel. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, you beat me to even thanking you for coming on the show. Um, It's a very serious topic of conversation Mm. we're having today, and you are definitely perfectly placed to be discussing this with us. I know you've done a lot of work in this area. I think if we start with discussing the fact the number of eating disorders and body dissatisfaction on a whole is rising, do you think this is in large due to social media? It's a really difficult question to answer because it's really hard to figure out what kind of the causal agent is. And I feel like there's kind of two parts of that question, really. There's eating disorders and body dissatisfaction, which are kind of like two very, very different things. And so there is definitely a relationship between social media and eating disorders, Whether or not social media has caused a rise is probably impossible to prove, but it has certainly changed the ways that people experience eating disorders. So 
whatever eating disorder you've got, if you're in the throes of having one, if you're in the process of being diagnosed, if you're in recovery, if you feel like you're recovered, it's going to change how you experience it. And it's changed how health professionals learn. It's changed how people get diagnosed, how people learn about eating disorders. It's kind of, it's been a real game changer, I would say. I completely agree. And you've quite rightly said that because social media platforms are so new, we don't have data or research. It's a very difficult thing in the first place to even embark upon making some kind of correlation between um, any research in the field of eating disorders is particularly delicate, very difficult. It's a mental health illness. Equally, how do you rate body dissatisfaction? There are all these different areas. Um, But if we start with the causes of eating disorders, of course, we know they are multiple. Um, we know a lot of the time it's, as I keep having to remind listeners on here, it's a mental health illness. A lot of the time it's not actually to do with food itself. But if we're looking at platforms like Instagram mm. being a good place to start, I mean, Instagram is an image-based platform. Do you think you can develop disordered eating habits perhaps from this platform? I wouldn't be able to say whether it kind of causes disordered eating habits because, again, that's so... It's so difficult to disentangle the role of Instagram in other parts of your life. It's really hard to kind of pick it out as, again, being kind of the causal agent of how you're doing and how you're feeling. But when you're on it, Instagram in particular, one of the things Instagram does that it's very, very good at and that it does to keep you on the platform is it recommends content to you. It wants to keep you, it wants to figure out what you like, who you are, what you're going to want to see. And so if you've been liking or commenting on food-related posts or mental health-related posts or recovery or pro-eating disorder, any of that kind of family of posts, it's going to keep showing you that. So whenever you open your Instagram, it thinks that's what you want to see. Which is fascinating because without even being consciously aware of that before you know it, like you said, if you are following a lot of foodie-based accounts, all you probably will be absorbing mentally when you look at that platform will be those types of accounts. That is really, really interesting. And one area that we have got a little bit of research on now is orthorexia with with social media. Um, We've heard quite a lot about it. what do you think the reasoning for this is? Because we know it's not actually a recognised um, term at the moment in the medical community. Yeah, orthorexia is a really interesting one because, I mean, I feel like one of the most commonly talked about eating disorders is anorexia. Yeah. But actually, according to BEAT, um, the eating disorder charity, it's something like only 8% of all eating disorders are anorexia, but it gets so much press, it gets so much attention, probably because the mortality rate is the highest of any eating disorder and it's visual um that's the thing people will be able to identify but most eating disorders you can't see it exactly but then orthorexia i feel like i don't want to say it's the new anorexia because you know that really downplays it and they're very very different but it's having a moment it's getting talked about as you said it's not necessarily being recognized yet Um, But there's a lot of news reports, some research, some outputs from charities that are increasingly recognising orthorexia as being a thing, a form of disordered eating that we can categorise. And I think it can't be a coincidence that it has correlated with the rise of social media, that these things happened at roughly the same time. Yes, and for anyone listening that isn't sure, um, orthorexia is, it comes from the Greek word ortho, more of a kind of derivative of, of eating clean, eating pure items. And perhaps around the time where the clean eating hashtags were coming about on Instagram and all that kind of thing, really, because that, that was a lot of talk about that a few years ago. Yeah, I think one of the things that's really interesting that keeps coming out of charities is how many people um, are, for example, vegan or take on a very clean eating diet like the ketogenic diet, which obviously people do for health reasons. There are lots of, you know, valid health-related reasons that people take on these diets. But there is an increasing relationship between these forms of not necessarily eating clean but kind of really cutting particular foods out of your diet And seeing this and performing it on Instagram and then, for example, being admitted into 
an eating disorder recovery facility or seeking treatment, there is an an increasing and growing recognition that there is a relationship between these two things. And it's something that... um as a health professional, it's very, very difficult again because you want to be showing people examples of a balanced diet. You know, you try and showcase eating items that do contain sugar, eating items that contain everything, really. I mean, there's no judgment from especially a registered nutritionist or dietitian's point of view. We just want to help you be the best versions of yourselves. But if Instagram is seen as a screenshot or, you know, a snapshot of an instant moment and taken as a lifetime's worth of living I think that's when the real problem comes in because people it's not really real is it exactly the thing about Instagram as you've said earlier it's a heavily visual platform and I've heard it be called people's highlight reel Mm. it's kind of the highlight reel of your life and especially before stories came in you know you curate your feed a lot of people want to maintain kind of a brand identity through their feed for example a particular color scheme particular kinds of shots it's a real it's a really visually performative space stories have changed that a little bit because stories are more kind of on the go every day a little bit more ad hoc um casual but yeah it's instagram is a place where you make conscious decisions about what you're putting out there. I'm not saying that everyone uses it in that way and wants to maintain this kind of sheen of perfection in their lives, but you have to decide. You decide what goes on it, the ease with which you can edit the posts. It's a perfect breeding ground for, I guess, portraying perfection. Yes, it is. Perfection being the word there that I think people end up striving towards unconsciously. And that's the real concern. And there's so many different points here spiraling through my brain to (laughs) ask you and just thinking, you know, there's the content creator's responsibility with the message they put out. But equally, it's the consumer's responsibility to moderate what they consume. Social media in itself is a minefield. So surely for those recovering from an eating disorder... It would be a dangerous platform and not really good to use, would you say? Or It really depends. I think that the way that you use Instagram, or to be honest, any social media, the way that you use it reflects what you see. Mm. So if you're somebody who is recovering and you're following a lot of recovery accounts, and I just, I adore the recovery community on Instagram. It's really strong, really powerful. I'm sure you've seen a a lot of it in your line of work. And so if they're the kinds of accounts that you're following and engaging with, that's what you're going to see. It's when you start to follow and like and explore and find I guess the more I don't want to say the more sinister side but sometimes that's how it feels Mm. if you start to go down that road again that's more of what you're going to see so it really just depends on how you're using it as to whether it feels like a positive or a negative slash dangerous place. I mean, one really good tip I was given on a previous episode is to try and diversify your Instagram feed to make a very conscious effort to follow accounts you wouldn't really normally look at. And it's very easy. um, I'll use myself as an anecdotal example. I'm a nutritionist. Therefore, it would be extremely easy for me to just consume nutrition information However, I make a conscious effort that I don't want to see nutrition information every day. So I will, I will, I don't know, follow a travel blogger or a politician or a pop group. <laughs> There's so many different options. That, and then surely that would minimize the percentage of consumption of the same related things, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And one of the things I love about Instagram now that wasn't the case, even maybe a year or so ago, I can't actually quite remember when this happened, but they allow you now to have multiple accounts. And it's actually really easy to have multiple accounts. It used to be really difficult. You would have to, I don't know, have a different email address and it was a real hassle. But now you just click at the top of your screen and you switch to your other account And there are lots of young people in particular. A lot of my students actually do Rinsters and Finsters. So it's like your Rinster is your real Instagram. Your Finster is your fake Instagram. Oh my goodness, I know nothing about this. Silly one. It's so, yeah, it's really interesting. So they're kind of deliberately consciously maintaining these different identities through Instagram because it's so easy 
to switch between accounts now. That's such a good idea. Mm -hmm. That must be very protective for mental health. Yeah. However, equally, um, very easy for people. Now, this is me putting something out there, and I don't want to put a negative on it, but what about trolling and things that happen with people being able to suddenly set up these types of multiple accounts? Mm -hmm. That's surely quite a risk as well. Trolling is a huge issue. Trolling really scares me. And Mm. actually, the next research project that I want to do, because I haven't seen as much of it, is to really dig deep into the comments on eating disorder-related posts, whether they're pro, so promoting eating disorders, or whether they're people in recovery, or whether it's just someone tracing their journey through an eating disorder. The comments that I saw when I did my last lot of research some of them were just I mean it was unbelievable there were some beautiful positive incredible ones but the other ones I saw made me think right mental note that's your next project because uh, I don't know it's 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 a really interesting one um interestingly um since falling pregnant myself I've experienced more comments on my life than ever before really to do with how I conduct myself throughout pregnancy should I be getting vaccinated should I everyone has an opinion but I think particularly if we're discussing relationships with food here how that can impact someone's behavior choice it's it's big so I think that's actually a really good area of research yeah for you to go down and would you say men are also under the same types of pressures are they bombarded with fitness and health accounts I mean I feel like the difference between what men and women's norms with their bodies are you know they've always been very different yeah just in the history of learning about gender like you know they're very very different but actually men are increasingly being targeted with like beauty products and being told that they need to have a particular type of body to fit into a particular type of masculinity so especially with the rise of really hyper visual platforms like Instagram the ease with which anyone can just pop a picture of themselves online I really feel like men and women although the levels and kinds of scrutiny are different it's kind of no one's immune really no matter what your gender um And I don't know conclusively if social media is feeding into this, but it's actually one in four people who have an eating disorder um, is is male. That's the thing. And it's often overlooked. It's definitely thought of in in the media still today as a female-related type of discussion that we're having. And I would actually say that, obviously, I've been witnessing more men with different relationships with food, but... You said one in four. Are there any other statistics emerging that we can be looking out for? Any other research in this area? There was actually a study that was published this year. It was um, a group of researchers from King's College London and the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, I believe it was. Um, I can't remember quite when in this year it was published, but was it? I, I think I know the research you mean. I thought it was spring, but I've probably got that wrong. No, I think it was earlier okay. in the year. I yeah, think you're right. Yeah. And they found, I wonder if we're talking about the same one, that they found... You go first. (laughs) They found a bit of a link, well, a big link, between um, your genetics, essentially, your DNA, and having an eating disorder. And their conclusion, it was like really beautifully written, actually, because they basically said it's it's a disease of the body and mind. Mm. And beat the eating disorder charity. I remember reading it a few bits and pieces of press coverage they were really excited because they were basically saying this is going to change how people think of eating disorders this is going to change how many people get diagnosed this is going to change the process of diagnosis the treatment it's the treatment oh i mean just understanding first of all i often find that um being accessible on social media interestingly the retrition community we get a lot of inquiries from disordered eating clients and eating disorders when it's actually we end up referring the bulk of them to the psychology related area because Mm. that's what they need first the first intervention and it is misunderstood people don't realize it's mind and body at all so it's an interesting one and I think a big issue that's come up again and again is comparison Mm -hmm. where do I even start oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) it's huge it's I feel like we start, honestly, I feel like we start with the history of the media. We start with the moment that anyone became depicted on a billboard, in a newspaper, on a flyer, 
representation is where this starts. The representation and depiction of the normal, quote-unquote, body type for a man or for a woman, how this changes according to your culture, your location, your racial identity. It's so... It's it's just such a complicated thing to dig into, but I think social media gets a lot of flack for kind of enabling greater comparison, um, and I agree with that. I do agree with it, but I think that we also have to step back and think we've always, to some extent, had a figure, a thing, a kind of higher being to compare ourselves to. But social media, I still think it's a game changer. I I agree, and I actually see a lot of positives with um, social media in the fact that nearly anyone out there now can have their say. I know there's pros and cons to that immediately that spring to mind, but we are more open, if you're following the right accounts, to more body diversity, more cultural, ethnicity diversity. It's out there now. Whereas perhaps before when we were looking at mainstream media, this is a positive to social media, we were very isolated with the magazines and the, the images that we consumed. Exactly. I think that now we just, we get to see normal people. And I kind mm-hmm. of, I don't like the word normal normally. No, I know. <laughs> it feels like the right word though. It's, we just get to see ordinary everyday people. And yes, there are editing apps. Yes, they are frighteningly easy to use. Could you go in, um, do you have any stats on the use of editing apps? Because it's something that I wasn't aware of actually until a client came to me in clinic mm. a year or two ago. I said, oh, there's an app called, um, I, won't, actually, I won't actually say the name of this app, but she she was able to move her face, yeah, slim her face, slim her waist. It was actually quite disturbing. Yeah. I don't have stats on usage by people of particular demographics, for example. But, and again, I don't want to name, we're probably talking about the same app. I think so. I don't want to name the app. No, but don't are, give it a headline. <laughs> they are so popular. Yeah. They are so heavily downloaded and they're so easy to use. And this is the difference between mainstream and social media is if you watch mainstream media or you watched it 20 years ago or now, you know, deep down, there's an editing team, there's money, there's professionals, there are people who are paid to make you look a certain way. Now, social media enables you supposedly to depict your everyday life. But then because these editing apps are so easy to use... It's harder to know when something has been edited, whereas when you look, you know, when I read through a magazine, I know, I know, know that whatever it's been brand advert, yeah. exactly, yeah. it's been airbrushed. But now, pros and cons, I feel like we're just going to keep saying pros and cons for this entire episode, but it's true. It's it's a pro because it allows you to be creative and take control of your own representation and put yourself out there. But it makes it really hard for other people to know if you've edited your pick. And that's the thing. And I think a lot of people feel a bit deceived or conned when people aren't completely transparent that they use these. However, on the flip side, and we are going to keep having balanced discussions here, but it's just important to raise awareness. So the more you're aware that these happen and the more we discuss it, the better. But on the flip side to that, equally, the person doing it perhaps may not even be aware of the impact it's having on on you looking at their platform. In certain industries, I think it's definitely more rife than others, especially in perhaps the beauty makeup world on Instagram. But then there's the argument that it's a form of advertising again. So Instagram technically, or any social media platform, is a new advertising tool. Yeah, exactly. It's it's really changed how we see and experience ads. And I, I really respected Instagram as a company, actually, when they, um, I can't remember when it was exactly, was it maybe like a year or so ago when they made people put hashtag ad or similar? Yes, and actually, and that was over a year ago, the ASA um, that kicked in those rules. And more recently, they've also put a ban on certain types of ads that, thanks to you, that we're going to discuss with all these different things that can appear. Yeah, and I really, I thought that that was a really positive change. And I remember shortly after it came in, a few... Um, influencers or people with a lot of followers you know maybe forgot and they got called out and then there was a bit of a debate but I think yep it's easy to forget to do but we all have a responsibility to remember to do it and advertisement is an advertisement 
and it should be seen and read as such and known as such. I agree. I was at a um I was at the European Conference of Conference of Nutrition in November this year. So we're recording this in 2019 and I gave a lecture on the importance of health professionals being on social media now because they need to communicate a message. However, there is really isn't any guidelines at schools, at universities for professors of dietetics or in the world I'm in on how on earth you go about that. Because technically, if you're working with a a board of um, vegetables somewhere and your ticket has been paid for to attend this conference of nutrition, you should, I guess, declare it is a gifted ticket. But nobody really even thinks to do that. So there's there's a lot of lines, there's a lot of learning, isn't there, to do mm. in this area. Do you see it coming into the ed- the curriculum even? It's really interesting that you've said that because um, I had some press coverage quite recently because of the um, Instagram and Facebook cosmetic surgery policy change, which we're probably going to get into. Yes. Um, <laughs> and a head teacher emailed me. Um, won't name them or name the school, but they emailed me and they said, I wondered if you or someone that you know could come in and talk to the kids at this school about social media and they they displayed a really admirable level of just kind of vulnerability and just saying honestly I'm I'm really out of my depth here and I'm not sure what to recommend for the best I'm not sure what to say about mental health I feel like it moves too quickly for me to keep up with because of the introduction particularly of like secret telling gossipy apps yeah they launch into popularity and then they die every month there's a new it app for kids and the head teacher said I just I would love to get a professional in I would love some guidance and I really a I admired that I thought that that brilliant that takes a lot of guts and that's a phenomenal piece of teaching but on the other hand it makes me wonder how many other educators feel like that Yes, and equally, when you even just said gossip apps, I was thinking, I don't know what these are. So that that is worrying. And I'm a parent-to-be, and I'm sure anyone listening with children, it's a concern. It's something you really, mm. how on earth do we protect the future generations? Because obviously we didn't grow up with the same pressures. Yeah, exactly. And could we go in now into the discussion, if you could explain what happened on Facebook, what was going on there around cosmetic surgery, all these different types of um, concerns? Yeah, of course. So um, Facebook and Instagram... They have a series of different, what they call advisory boards for different issues, um, kind of social issues. One of them is called the SSI, which is the Suicide and Self-Injury Advisory Board. Mm. Um, The members of the board are publicly available, so all of this information is available through Facebook on their website. And it's a really diverse mix of people. It's a diverse mix of professions. So it's academics from really different disciplines um different geographical areas people who work for charities people who run for example suicide hotlines and take the calls themselves um health practitioners it's just a real mix of people um and instagram and facebook raise their concerns kind of what they think are the most pressing issues in that kind of area which does include eating disorders and then they advise and consult with us and then we kind of come to a group decision about that one of the things most recently that they wanted to I guess clamp down on really was the promotion of cosmetic surgery procedures and what they call miraculous quote-unquote weight loss products exactly Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yes, which is how I think I became really aware of the work you were doing originally because... I, for one, was getting a little bit fed up of the latest (laughs) celebrity tea and things like that coming along. So now this has been implemented, let's say. It's been discussed. It's been implemented. Is this having a huge effect already? So instantly there was a lot of even just anecdotal evidence of restrictions to this kind of content. So it's not a ban or a reduction in the visibility of just cosmetic surgery procedures or weight loss products in general it's about weight loss products that claim that make miraculous claims that claim i don't even want to go into what a claim would be but it's some of them are just ridiculous they are ridiculous yeah Um, and then the cosmetic surgery angle of it that aims to restrict the visibility of posts to people who are under the age of 18 Um, So it's kind of, it's really hard because you don't want to make a moral judgment about cosmetic surgery. Um, I'm not personally opposed to it. I understand that people do it for a variety of reasons. That's their business and choice. But where children are concerned, especially um, one of the rules of the policy is that it's got to have both um, a promotion of a procedure in the post, but also a kind of a commercial value. So, you know, maybe it's on offer or just the price in some way. So, yeah, it's kind of, it's going to have an impact on just not being able to be seen by younger people, essentially. Which is so, so well done. Thank you. Because all of that hard work will help people that especially are suffering with low self-esteem. I think the teenage years, everyone listening will know, Oh, they are, they're tough. And especially for, well, for men and women now, different age brackets, you do, you do observe other people and role models in the media, especially influencers, because they're the new role models for the future generations. And if they're getting paid promotions to go abroad and have a quick surgery, it can make it seem almost too accessible to Mm -hmm. someone perhaps or for the wrong reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the really great things about working on that policy um, was the involvement of iWay. So Jamila Jamil's kind of activist community, body positivity. It's almost it's almost become like a campaign now. I think it's phenomenal. Yeah. And I think that what what was really interesting for me was I have watched that for such a long time. I've watched her say these things. I've watched yeah. iWay say these things. And then to kind of unknowingly have our worlds collide and get this thing pushed through was was brilliant. It was really exciting. So I definitely want to shout out their team for the really hard work, really hard work that they've done in visibilizing this. And a lot of other influencers and people who are really visible on social media, you know, medical practitioners especially. Yeah, I just think it was a team effort, to be honest with you. No, 100%. And I remember when that campaign started as well. Well, we did, well we're calling it a campaign now. It, it is. Yeah. It is. You know, this is just it. Jimmy Jamil is doing such a good job. I think she was one of the first um, high-profile celebrity voices to actually say, hang on a minute, I am going to almost call you out in a manner. Yeah. And if we discuss calling out, because this is something that I think actually think has been taken too far in in recent months and observing from Mm. afar there's a difference between doing something to achieve a message or a bit of education to also online bullying again Mm. and the line is again quite blurred here yeah call out culture is really it can go wrong and I think one of the ways it can go wrong is if you're wrong if you make a false claim if you leverage your power in the wrong way and I you know I don't have a ton of power on social media I tend to keep my socials quite private because I do a lot of teaching and community work um but I think that if you have a certain level of popularity I would imagine it would be easy to forget 
I would imagine it's easy to forget the sway that you have, the fans that you've generated. And I think there's a real responsibility. The louder that your voice gets amplified through the number of followers that you've got, the more you need to think about what you're saying. I think also looking at, I mean, the term followers, I I struggle with it personally because they're all individual people that have actively clicked on an account. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you have 10 people following you or 10,000 people following you. That's quite a lot of people. It's still an indiv- a real person that's consuming your information. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it depersonalizes human beings as we are when we're looking at a screen. And what can we do for parents out that are concerned? Are there any regulations, any way of um, reducing content for your children that are using apps like Instagram and different platforms? Every app has different set of privacy controls but it's really really challenging because as I've just said you know you've got kind of your standard really popular apps like Facebook and Instagram which are probably going to stay popular for a while Mm. parents can learn how they work figure it out and work with the child to determine what the boundaries are Mm. but to me there's this whole other realm of social media Um, I actually got a grant recently to research secret telling apps Um, so these are apps where you um, basically you've both got to have the app and so I could send you a secret I could send you a little message oh how nice (laughs) but you wouldn't know it was from me oh that's not so great so it's like social media's version of note-taking not note-taking, note-passing, sorry. Wow, that blows my mind. Almost like a Snapchat, but it's not. Because Snapchat disappears, doesn't it? This goes to show how little I know about Snapchat. It's kind of like a Snapchat, but if you didn't know who was sending you the snap. That's very scary, yeah. And they're so popular, so popular with kids. And what generally happens is that one app will kind of rise to fame and rise to popularity, then it will be linked to bullying a suicide, you know, a a different kind of controversy and then it will get pulled from app stores. Then there'll be a new one. Then there'll be a new one. and Like a cyberbug. They just keep popping up. Exactly. They just keep rising and falling and rising and falling and teens love them. Right, okay. They love them. And this is kind of where I get a little bit worried on behalf of parents because I research them. I can't even keep up with what the newest, hottest, latest one is. And so if I can't do it, how's a parent going to do it? Or even be aware it's there. Exactly. Because it probably looks harmless, like a logo on the screen that looks completely harmless. But actually the app itself can be extremely detrimental. That goes to show again why I think we need people like yourself that are actually researching to go into every school in the country and just it needs to be part of the curriculum now how to handle handle social media surely. Yeah I agree. I mean there's so many things I need to think that I think need to be part of the curriculum. (laughs) How to do your taxes for one but I think social media I still I honestly still think it gets trivialized. Mm. I still think it's really downplayed Mm. in so many ways, in so many avenues, but it has tremendous power in every facet of life, politics for one. And so, yeah, I completely agree with you. I think more awareness... Yeah, it's definitely needed. It's because it's so new. And as with every guest we have on Food for Thought, we always discuss how research is emerging, but in you know, completely different topics to you know, gut health research is emerging. But actually, we need research on social media platforms. It's a relatively unknown field. We don't know the effect it even has on our cognition or our brain function in 50 to 100 years time because we just haven't had it long enough. And that leads me on really to asking you more about the shift in public opinion with it. Has there been one? And really, if you're looking at history, like you said, of how body ideals have changed, do you see social media creating a whole new way of aspiring to live your life and become an influencer? I think there's kind of two issues here. One is kind of public opinion. One of the things I find really interesting is the change to Facebook's usage demographics. So, you know, when Facebook first came about, it was um, just for people at Harvard. It was just a college-based app. Then it rolled out to different colleges. Then it kind of got more mainstream. And basically, long story short, it was just people within kind of the young people, whatever you want to call it, demographic. And therefore, social media became a young people thing. 
now if you look at Facebook, there are so many teenagers and young people leaving it because their parents are on, their aunts, their uncles, their family, their co-workers. It's kind of penetrating so, so, so many more demographics in part because of the rise in the number of people who have smartphones. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing more and more people of lots of different demographics on there, which is turning lots of people off Facebook. (laughs) So interesting. Um, But I, yeah, I just think social media is becoming a part of more people's lives. So, you know, that's not necessarily about public opinion, but it's, is it maybe public acceptance? Mm. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a very different way of looking at it. Of course, I hadn't even twigged that I was once a youngster on that platform and then you get older and before you know it, you are the parent on the platform. You are the grandparent on the platform. It's it's extremely interesting. And with all the different products, if we go back to how e-commerce and the fitness and health industry is being impacted... Are there any particular products that are selling higher volumes due to the messages, do you think, on social media that are being portrayed? One of the things I find really interesting is the boom, I would say, of kind of this fitspo community and gym wear. Uh Uh-huh. So the visibility of, particularly for women, kind of like your squat-proof leggings, your different kind of outfits for the gym because body ideals have changed for women you know there was kind of the sizable zero twiglets of the Mm. 2000s we're now seeing something very different which is a more fit muscular I don't want to say curvy because that's not the right it's hard to say any phrase now to get it right if I'm being honest Um, the language used today it's very tricky Yeah, it's a very tricky one to describe, but it's kind of, it's just a different body type. It's Mm. just a very different body type now that's kind of becoming more normalized. And so with that, every time a body type changes, clothes change, fashions changed, consumer demand changes. So I remember a high-waisted leggings suddenly coming into fashion. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, and they were the best things ever they because were. I remember before it wasn't. And that was when you were, like you said, the the body type was yeah. this zero, zero kind of thing. And then suddenly I was like, oh, this is much more for every day. This is much more convenient. Mm-hmm. But you'll never be able to please everyone. And that's the different thing. That's where we have a problem. Everyone is unique. They should have a unique shape and size. Mm-hmm. There's even now a bit of backlash against a hashtag that was created called Strong Not Skinny. Yes. That's an interesting one to follow as well. I mean, if you look at it, it's almost like saying, well, actually, what about women that are not able to work out all the time, that just want to be healthy and happy? I mean, what's wrong with not being skinny or strong? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And this is the thing. It's kind of body norms and types change and standards change. But a standard is a standard. They're by default exclusionary. Yeah, no, exactly. Like you said, the role of influencers are grossly underestimated still. The power Instagram can have to influence small communities. And there are different phrases uh, within it that I'm sure you look at, such as micro-influencers and macro. Could you delve into that a little bit? So one of my very good friends, Crystal Aberdeen, she's kind of the queen of research on influencers. She's just published a book and she's got another one coming out. And one of the things she does really well is unpacking all of the different, I guess, layers and levels of influencers, all the different types. And what I really like about the fact that she even does her research is she marks a shift away from celebrity. We kind of don't really use that word anymore. No. And calling someone an influencer is such a new thing, but there are different, as you say, levels and types of influencers there's a different way of being an influencer according to the industry that you're in and I think like the study of social media the study of influencers it's just super new everything's just so new and changing all the time it's fascinating when you said certain industries because I have to be honest coming from a health professional background I don't actually like being this is this is completely personal But I suppose because I dedicated my years of study to something else, 
I would rather be called a registered nutritionist over an influencer. But then that's not to say being an influencer isn't a good achievement because it, it's still a pretty cool thing. There's lots of people out there that are, are influencers mm. who are doing great things. And it it's, depends what industry you're in, I suppose. I can see both sides yeah. to that argument. Um probably best not to comment further on that because I, <laughs> I think um but any ultimately there are so many products out there being sold with false promises and that's something you're working extremely hard to try and crack down on it seems like we still have a long way to go though yes it's really it's a really tricky difficult one like I love being a part of shaping policy and using my research and other people's research to shape policy for the better and I absolutely love doing that but every call I have with Facebook every meeting every news article just reminds me of how far we have to go and I it's kind of like a little bit of a doom and gloom attitude but I think social media will only change as fast as social norms change you have to change society before you can change how society experiences a technology like social media oh it's so frustrating I know (laughs) (laughs) even you saying that I was thinking I could totally relate with certain aspects of my job but you just sometimes you're so powerless and you you want to achieve so much how did you first become fascinated in in the world of social media so I I'm actually maybe a little bit unique in that I did all of my degrees back to back. So I did my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, then my PhD. I just kind of rolled all the way through them. Could be the best way to do it sometimes. And it was actually when I did my master's degree. um, My master's degree thesis was about how, um, do you remember Nuts and Zoo magazines, the lads mag? I cannot believe, I do. I remember being so embarrassed if a boy wanted to, they'd bring them into school and hide them like under the desk. And I used to be, for some reason it would make me so embarrassed as a young girl. Mm -hmm. Well... Yeah, no. Oh my gosh, you're okay, just so, taking me back to school. So, Nuts and Zoo magazine. Yes, so, I remember them. Nuts and Zoo magazine. I don't know if you ever kind of twigged that this was happening because it was quite fleeting. They were using Twitter to um, promote certain hashtags. I'm definitely not going to say the names of the hashtags, but they were encouraging people to submit kind of nude or partially nude pictures according to hashtags and then they were putting the pictures that people put on social media into the physical or online copies of As the magazines. general public submitting yeah, just, nudes over yes, the internet. Oh yes. my goodness. No, but I, publicly, I was, not oh. even on DM, just on a hashtag. <gasps> no, no, I obviously missed this part of that. Thank goodness I was not exposed to this area of Twitter at the time. I was probably just a uni student on that's when I got Twitter and nutrition. Oh my goodness. Is that when you became aware of it? And that, well, that's kind of the moment when, because I've always researched gender and representation and advertisements. I loved researching that when I was younger. And it was at that moment, I really just became fascinated in this conflation between social media and then I guess print media or mainstream media. And then from then on, I just snowballed out with my research. It was just always exclusively about social media and mostly about body image. And what's so interesting is I don't think there was probably a female equivalent of that hashtag asking for male nudes. Oh my gosh, no. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, and this is when there perhaps there is a gender bias or divide. But anyway, moving on to this very fascinating way of getting into research. That's brilliant. Um, questions we have from our lovely audience for you today, Isabel. Oh, okay. So Vera has said, my boyfriend has suddenly become obsessed of going to the gym every day and eating lean and clean. Should I be worried? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Thank you for that. I guess it's really hard to tell just by someone's behaviours and their actions because obviously those two things like going to the gym and eating really healthily, like typically on a surface level, they're really healthy things to do and you kind of praise and celebrate them. Um, but I would be thinking, I would be kind of keeping an eye on it. I don't think it's immediately, instantly a thing to worry about. Um, but I think if your partner, if their behaviour or their mood starts to change, if you start to really see signs of ill mental health, 
that is when I would start to worry a little bit. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I may just refer you back to the episode we did on eating disorders with our dietitian, just on some links of where to go to get some help if you if you are a bit more concerned there. Stella has said, uh, my daughter's spending so much time on her phone. I don't know what she's looking at. How do I have a conversation about this? Oh my gosh, Stella, you have my com- you just have my whole heart. Oh. I think it's really difficult to kind of make a blanket rule or piece of advice for parents and their children because every relationship is different. But my policy would be openness, trying to ask her even just what apps she's using and then you can pop online on your own and research them. You know, not making it feel like surveillance, like I'm going to check your messages, I want to know what your username is, things like that, but just... Figuring out, A, what she's using and then you learning about it and then B, asking her how particular apps make her feel. That's a good idea. I think I don't think enough people ask how you are feeling. And it's actually a very difficult thing to answer as well for some people, especially for teenagers as well and young children. Um, identifying emotions is something that we discuss a lot. It can be quite tricky. Um, Leela has said, my best friend is always wanting to replicate meals off influencer channels. She's following them exactly down to the T. Should I flag this as some sort of disordered eating? That's a really difficult one because mm. I'm as soon as I you started reading that I started thinking about myself because I actually get a lot of my recipes from well, Instagram. This is when contact context rather comes into it again, doesn't it? I mean, like you said, it's it's a great place for inspiration. But what do you think? It's really difficult because it really depends what the recipes are, but also what message the person writing them is giving. Because there's, you know, I feel like you're definitely the person. To speak about this. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very tricky. I think um, no miraculous claims is something to look out for, not a one-size-fits-all approach. If it's just harmlessly recreating recipes because you enjoy food and it's creating a love for food, that's a wonderful thing to do. But if it's become a stringent, I'll only eat food someone else has created, that could actually be a little bit of a red flag there, definitely. And Beat actually have a really good page for carers and friends that I would direct you to. But it sounds, I hope it sounds harmless (laughs) anyway. Um, Clara has mentioned, and this is one I'm sure you can definitely contribute to i've recently recovered from an eating disorder i completely went off social media is there a healthy way to come back on it i think there is a healthy way to go back on it i think one of the i don't want to say mistakes but one of the forms i think of misreporting that i see in the press about social media is that it is a dangerous place by default And actually, if you are engaging with recovery-based accounts or even not recovery-based accounts, cat accounts, travel accounts... Interior design. I love that cat accounts, accounts came up there <laughs> because instant one. I really like looking at cat accounts occasionally. <laughs> I love a good follow of an animal account. Yeah. I need that in my feed. But, you know, like we're joking about it, but actually... If you curate your feed and who you follow in your life even to not be about mental health or eating disorders or you're following what I would say are the right kinds of people in the recovery community, the risk of you being exposed to something that's going to be, I guess, graphically triggering is slimmer than the mainstream media would like us to believe. That's really comforting to hear and very, very good advice because the positives are definitely out there. Thank you, Isabel, for answering those questions. Uh, We now have uh, the fact or fiction round of the podcast. Are you ready? I am, I think. Okay, if you could answer fact or fiction to the following questions. Under-19s admitted to hospital for eating disorders have risen by 130%. Oh, it's risen, but I don't know by how much. So I'm going to say fact. Sounds like a good estimate there, good guess. Um, over 1.25 million people in the UK are affected by eating disorders. Fact. 20, 25% of those affected are male. Fact. Gosh, binge eating disorder is the most common eating disorder. Oh, that's tricky because it's... A, It's more common than people think, but there's kind of this other category of eating disorders where they're not quite categorised, and that's something that 43% 
So I'm going to say, oh, you'd. You don't have to. We we had someone say faction. I'm going to say faction. I'm going to say borderline. (laughs) Eating disorders run in the family. They can do, but they don't always. Body positivity movement is for everyone. Oh, fact. Hospital admissions for eating disorders are at highest rate in recent years. That, it's probably a fact, actually. Yeah, I would say, do you know, when you're looking at that kind of thing, it's very difficult because stats are changing all the time, but I'm sure more and more people are now reporting or getting help, I would like to think. Well, this is the thing. I think whenever we see a statistic about the rise in people entering treatments or entering hospital, that could also be because it's becoming destigmatized. So it's it feels like a really negative thing, but actually it could be a result of a really positive thing. Yeah, no, I like that one. Instagram is reviewing its policies. Always, every day, yes. Body confidence is increasing. I hope so. I really hope so. That's more of a wishful fact. (laughs) (laughs) And you shouldn't comment on someone's weight. I think you shouldn't. I think that's a fact. You shouldn't. I completely agree. A wonderful fact or fiction round. Thank you so much. (laughs) It's actually brought up a lot of um, thoughts for me to basically wrap up this episode with. Now, we always share a food for thought at the end of the podcast. And mine today would be that I think when we're using social media or we're thinking about it, it is paramount to remember that we use the word perfect earlier and normal. It doesn't really exist. And the content and the imagery that we see on social media, it, it is a snapshot of someone's life. And I can vouch vouch for that. You know, I'll create a recipe on Sunday, but I may not post the recipe for you till Wednesday, guys. So remember, it's it's not something that happens. Or, I mean, gosh, if only my life were that straightforward. But <laughs> it is important when using social media to focus on you and what accounts make you feel positive and happy. And don't be afraid to unfollow them. In fact, now, and I'm actually, Isabel, you can probably jump in now. I've noticed a new feature on Instagram that says restrict account. You used to let me mute them. Now you restrict an account. So you don't have to see certain aspects of it, like a story or something along the way. Is that something you know about, restricted accounts? It's not something I've been involved in, but it's something I've heard talk about that actually because the number of features on Instagram are growing, then you need greater control over actually which aspects of people's accounts you don't want to see. So yeah. it's in line with with other developments. It, it Honestly, it's been a wonderful tool that I've found very, very helpful. And also if you're experiencing any online bullying or trolling, which unfortunately, you know, I get on a weekly basis, um, you can actually now block those people, report them. You can, you can also restrict them from your content. But thanks to the Body Positive account um, and people out there and the movement that's there, we've got a lot more people sharing honest and open content that's showing more diversity of life. And they're great channels to follow. And they are highly, highly, empowering and engaging I think Isabel if you could share with our listeners one final food for thought today that they can take home what would that be I think my food for thought would be to encourage you whether you are recovering from an eating disorder whether you're in the throes of one if you're thinking you might have one or if not if you are just any person any social media user is to consider reverse engineering your social media. What I mean by that is you retrain it. Teach it that you like other things. If you open your Instagram or any of your socials and you're not happy with your what you see, teach it something different. That is a wonderful, wonderful take-home message. And you can all do that now. I'm going to challenge everyone listening to this episode to perhaps follow something that really, truly makes them happy that you wouldn't normally think of doing, even if it's cats, as we've discussed earlier. If you're a dog lover, it's a dog account. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much, Isabel, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed myself. If you enjoyed this episode, you will absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there to reach those higher highs in the charts and to help more people. For more information about my Retrition Clinic 
books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 